wonderful singing tonight. I'll ask you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. You can be seated. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. So glad that you're here tonight. And I love living in Colorado. I love the mountains. You know, I've been here since I was five years old. And I've always loved going camping and fishing and hiking. Not so much the hiking part. I love the end of the hike, but the middle of it, not so much. But I still enjoy those payoffs at the top or when you get to a lake. It's an awesome thing. I love the sunrises. I love the sunsets. I love the lakes. I love the creeks. I love the typically cool air most of the year. I don't know what's happened here recently where it seems like we've turned into Seattle or somewhere else in the Northwest. We've had all this rain day after day and hail and I mean, it's been crazy. But in spite of all that, I still love Colorado. I never want to leave here. Never. And one of the main reasons for that is simply because I hate moving. <laughs> I don't like moving. I've yet to meet anybody that says that they like to move. Uh, there's a lot of packing and a lot of uh, cleaning up to do, and a lot of rearranging and a lot of heavy lifting of beds and couches and, and other furniture. I mean, it's a, it's a haul. Uh, there's a few years ago, of course, we lived in a condo in Niwot. We, uh, family was growing. We moved out of that and moved to our house out in Decono. And that was our first move as a married couple. And I didn't like that one too much either, but we were packing up and you know, when you're moving and stuff, you, a lot of times as you're cleaning things out, you'll find like on the back shelf of the garage or in the very back of a storage closet or a storage unit, you'll find something that you didn't even realize you still had. It's old, it's dusty, and, and there, but there's something about it that's a little bit on the nostalgic side, and, and you're like, man, I wonder if that thing still works. You know, it might be an old flashlight or an old power tool or an old gaming system, or it might be an old curling iron or hair dryer, but you find this, or you're like, I've been looking all over for this thing, and it was way back there, and you, know, you pull it out, and there's just something inside you that's curious. Does this thing still work? And so you put some batteries in it, or maybe you recharge the battery, or you, you plug it in, and you want to find out, does it still work? Well, why are you wondering if it's still going to work? Well, you haven't seen it in a while. You haven't heard it operate in a while. You haven't watched it do anything in a while. And so you're a little skeptical, a little doubtful. Is this still going to work? You know, sometimes that's how it can be for us with God. Sometimes we can uh, come into situations in life where it feels like God hasn't been around much. It feels like I haven't heard from God in a long time. I haven't felt God's presence in a long time. That I haven't, I haven't uh, quite seen him work in my life in a long time. And so what can happen is that you go and you open your Bible and, and, and you're reading and you see the way that uh, God works. You see the way that God spoke to people. You see the things that God did for people. And because he doesn't work in those same exact ways, you know, because he's not still parting Red Seas and bringing water out of rock and turning water into blood. I mean, you're, you're not seeing him do those things anymore where you can just begin to be of the perspective and maybe God's been on the back shelf in your life. And maybe God has been locked up in a storage closet in your life and something goes wrong in your life and, and you start combing through your life and then you remember God and you think about God. And you may have this opinion about God that maybe he's a, 
dusty, ancient power who doesn't work the way he used to. You're doubtful. You're skeptical about it. And so when you read your Bible, it's like you, you're, you're brushing off the dust and you're wondering, God, can you still work this way in my life? God, can you still fix my marriage? God, can you still provide a job for me? Can you still provide food for me? Can you still provide a place for me to live? I mean, are, 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 can you still uh, break these chains of addiction that I'm dealing with? And you can just begin to wonder and doubt and be skeptical that because God doesn't work the way he did in the Bible, that maybe he's just not made for the 21st century. We can struggle with those things. Sometimes we can see God and his work as a thing of the past. By the time we come to Exodus chapter 3, Israel has been in bondage to Egypt for nearly 400 years. They heard about the covenant God of their fathers, but they had not seen him work in their lives to this point. They had heard about the promises of God, but those promises of God had not been spoken to them. They had heard about some of the miracles that God had done, but they did not see any miracles in their personal life. And so when God appears to Moses here, he has heard about the promises and the appearances of God, and yet God has never appeared to him up until this point. And God appears to him in this burning bush, and he reveals his holiness to Moses, and he calls Moses to go back and stand before Pharaoh and demand before Pharaoh the release of his people. God's called him to something enormous. And Moses is thinking in his life, how is this going to happen? There's no way that I can do this. And there's some doubt and there's some skepticism, but when you consider his doubts that he's going to go through and his excuses and his skepticism over the next couple of chapters, his doubt is not just in himself, but his doubt is in the one who called him. He doesn't know if God can really still work in his life the way he worked in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's. But God is at work in this chapter to reassure Moses of the success of his call. That he's going to be successful. This is going to work. God is going to come through. And so he's working at establishing that Moses, what I have called you to do, it's going to happen. It is possible. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to show you from this particular text how God works to assure us or why we can be assured that when God calls us to do something enormous, when God calls us to do something that's beyond our capacity, why we can be assured of the success of that calling. And so what happens here, we've covered uh, verses 1 through verse 10. God appears in this burning bush and he reveals his holiness to Moses and, and he maintains that there's got to be this distance between uh, him and Moses because Moses is a sinner and God is not. And so God's holiness demands a distance, a separation from sinful men. Uh, Moses hid his face before God. His eyes could not behold a holy God, just like a holy God's eyes cannot behold evil. God has assured his people that I've seen your affliction. I've come to deliver you. 
And he comes to chapter 10, speaking to, or verse 10, he's speaking to Moses and he says, come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so now Moses has this call on his life from God and Moses comes face to face with his own inadequacies. Moses' first question he asks is really this, who am I? <laughs> Would you look at verse 11? And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? You ever heard somebody say this before? Who died and made you king? <laughs> we usually say that when an inferior to us demands that we do something. You know, you're at work and, and somebody beneath you tells you, hey, go and do this. And he's, who died and made you king? Sometimes my kids will mouth off to me and I'll tell them, who do you think you are? <laughs> who are you? What we're saying is, is, what kind of authority do you think you have to be able to talk this way, to be able to order around like this? And that's really the idea that Moses is getting at. God says, you're to go before Pharaoh and you're to demand the release of my people. And he's like, who am I? He's imagining what's going to happen is I'm going to, I'm going to go into Pharaoh's palace and I'm going to stand before him. I'm going to say, Pharaoh, you've had my people for long enough. Let us go. We are out of here. And Pharaoh's going to say, who died and made you king? Who do you think you are? I mean, let's think about this. The last time that Moses was in Egypt, he was defending one of his Hebrew brethren and he killed an Egyptian man, buried him in the sand, found out that this thing was known and discovered. Pharaoh puts a death warrant on his life and Moses flees for the wilderness, which is how he ends up in the Arabian desert here. And now he's imagining, now I'm supposed to go back to Pharaoh, and let's remember, this is a different Pharaoh than the one who was seeking his life. This Pharaoh was likely the previous Pharaoh's son, which means he may have even been the adopted brother of Moses. Don't know that for sure. That's speculation. But the reality is, is Moses sees himself as wholly inadequate of a man to stand before Pharaoh and have the gall to demand that Pharaoh let his people go after all these years. Who am I? But then it also says, who am I that I should go before Pharaoh and bring forth Israel out of Egypt? Now he's thinking back at how things ended with his brethren, that there were two Hebrew guys that were in a fight and he breaks it up and he says, Hey man, why did you hit him? And he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? You know what that means? Who died and made you king? Who made you ruler? Who made you an authority over us? Here's what Moses is looking at. I have no power. I have no influence. I have no capacity in this situation to stand before Pharaoh, nonetheless, to lead my people out. I'm inadequate. I'm insufficient. Hey, listen, there are times in our lives when God's going to call us to do something that's simply beyond our capacity something that we're not able to do. And we're going to doubt ourselves and we're going to question. I don't know if I'm, if I'm fit for this. And, and, and like, I'm, I can think back to when God was calling me to plant a church here in Boulder. I was talking to Brian before the service and, and I grew up in a preacher's home. I was homeschooled. I went to Christian school. I went to Bible college. I've never known life without God. I've never had a thought in my life without, without God. I've never one time thought that maybe God doesn't exist. No, that's been assured in my heart by conviction through the Bible instruction that I've received, but also through my own seeking and understanding and making sense out of life in general that God does exist. That's who I am. 
That means I have no idea how an atheist thinks. I have no idea how an agnostic thinks. And when God first started working on my heart about going to Boulder, I knew exactly how atheistic and agnostic and skeptical this city was. And I just thought, why me? <laughs> There's got to be somebody better. Who am I with an unaccredited Bible college degree to go to somebody with a law degree from CU or to go to some professor at CU who teaches biology and anatomy and all of that stuff and, and, and say, you're wrong. <laughs> who am I? That's sometimes how we feel. <clears throat> you might be thinking through some of the commands and the calls of scripture to us as believers, the, the, the husband's responsibility to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And you're thinking, how am I going to be able to do that? I mean, Look at what Christ did for his church. Look how selfless he was. I mean, he was the perfect, sinless, holy son of God. How am I supposed to live up to that standard? Some ladies might be thinking, the Bible says that I'm to submit and respect my husband. Do you know who my husband is? Not even a nun could respect that man. And you're just thinking, how in the world am I going to be able to live up to that standard? It feels impossible. It feels beyond you. <laughs> Or when God comes into your life and he says, I want you to be a missionary to China. And you're thinking, hold on a second. I barely have a grasp on some hick version of English. And I'm supposed to go learn Mandarin? <laughs> How am I possibly going to be, be able to do that? Listen, when God calls us to do something beyond our capacity, it's natural for us to feel our inadequacies and to be overwhelmed by them. But listen, that's a good place to be because the Bible says that God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. See, sometimes God has to get us to a place where we realize our own insufficiency so that we can trust in his sufficiency. That's what God's doing with Moses here. He's telling Moses, I'm, I'm calling you to deliver my people. Moses says, who am I? This is beyond me. You know what God tells him? It's not about who you are. It's about who I am. Would you look at verse number 12? It says, <clears throat> it says and he said, certainly I will be with thee. <laughs> he says, that's what you really need to know. This isn't about you. You're not going alone. It's not your capacity. It's not your adequacy to be able to do this. No, he says, I will be with thee. And he says, this shall be a token unto the earth, a sign that I have sent thee. Here's how you'll know that I've sent you. Here's how you'll know that your sending is successful. He says, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. I don't know about you. That doesn't sound like a great sign to me. <laughs> God says, Moses, I'm going to give you a token. I'm going to give you a sign so that you know I've sent you, so that you know that your mission's going to be successful. Here's the sign. When you bring them out, you're going to serve me on this mountain. <laughs> that doesn't seem like something that's going to wow me into doing this. But what God is saying is this. My promise I'm going to give you a promise. You've heard of the promises I've made to your fathers. Now I'm going to give you a promise <laughs> that just as I gave promises back then, I still give promises today. And I promise you when you, not if, when you come out of Egypt and you come to this mountain, all of you, you and my people, you're all going to serve me on this mountain. <laughs> God says, listen, 
It, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am and I'll be with you. And I'm making you a promise right here, right now to make you successful. That's what God tells him. So Moses, first question is, who am I? God says, not about you. It's about me. The next natural question for Moses is this. Who are you? <laughs> who are you? I've heard about this God of my fathers, but I've never seen you in my life. I've heard that you spoke to my fathers, but I never heard of you until this point. I know that you did miracles for my fathers, but I've never seen you do miracles for me. And so how do I know who you are? But then he also says, and by the way, when I go and stand before the elders of Israel and I tell them the God of your fathers has appeared unto me and he's told me to come and deliver you, they're going to say, who is the God of our fathers? What am I to say then? See, look at verse 13. It says, and Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you and they shall say unto me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God, you gave names to our fathers, you gave them names like Jehovah Jireh. You gave them names like El Shaddai. You gave them names like Adonai. You gave them names like Elohim. You gave them names like El Roy. You gave them all these different names. And so they're going to ask me, what's the name of the God of our fathers? He's got so many names anyways. How do we know who he is? How do we know which one he is? And what God does is he reveals to him as himself as the eternal, unchangeable God of his fathers. He says this, and God said unto them, I am that I am. I am that I am. It's another way of saying, I am who I am. What God's saying there is, Moses, you don't need some flashy name. All you need to know is, I am. All you need to know is this word, I am. I'm not going to dig deeply into it because we did that in our first message introducing this series. But uh, when he says, I am, it's a, it's a simple Hebrew word that simply means to be. It means to exist. It refers to the self-existence of God. It refers to the eternality of God. He didn't say I was or I will be. He said I am and I am right now. I am who I am. Here's what God is saying. I always am who I've always been and I always be who I always am. He's <laughs> just making it simple. It doesn't matter what my name is. It matters that I am the God of your father's. See, God is self-existent. He had no cause. He has nothing to sustain him. He has nothing more powerful than him. He's the originator of all things. And so what, all that they needed to know was it's the God of their fathers, the God who made them, the God who needs no help, the God who needs nothing else. It's that God who is that powerful, who is the God of their fathers. And so he just simply tells him, I always am who I've always been, and I'll always be who I always am. And he says, you go and tell him, I am, hath sent you. And so he tells him, basically, I am is the God who promised salvation to your fathers. I am is the God who is coming right now to deliver on that promise, to bring salvation and redemption to this nation. But he also wants them to know that I'm not just the God of the past. I'm not just the God of the present, but I'll be the God of the future as well. If you'll look with me at verse number 15, God says, and God, and God said moreover unto Moses, 
Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord, there's that name, Jehovah, the self-existent one, the I am, all caps there, the Lord, God of your fathers. I want you to read it that way. A lot of times we're like the Lord God of your fathers, but it's the Lord God of your fathers. <laughs> Jehovah Elohim of your fathers. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. And then look what he says to Moses. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. And so you can see him tying it all in together that he's telling him, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I'm also right here standing before you, sending you to this generation. I'm the God of your past. I'm the God of your presence. And for every generation from now forward, I will be their God as well, or I am their God as well. And so he wants them to know God of your past, God of your present, God of your future. Now, it's in this name, I am, the eternal, unchangeable, all-powerful, uh, eternal God, self-existent God. It is in this name that God sends Moses to the elders of Israel. He sends him to fulfill this call in the name of I am. In verse 16, he says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, the Lord, God of your fathers, Yahweh, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac, of Jacob, appeared unto me saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you. And I have said, I will bring up out of the, I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey and they shall hearken to thy voice. So God has made another promise to him. When you go to them and they say, what is his name? You're to tell them, I am the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And he is here to fulfill the promise to those fathers to bring you out of Egypt and to bring you into Canaan and the land of all these ites. And that's what they would have understood the land of Canaan to be the promise of God to their fathers. The God who made the promise is now here to deliver on the promise. And he says, they'll believe you. They'll believe you. And then he's to go in God's name before Pharaoh along with the elders. Notice he doesn't tell Moses to go alone. He sends Moses with somebody. See, God doesn't always demand that we go on the calls that he gives us by ourselves. He commissions a church to go together. He commissions families to go together and to pursue this call. And he gives you godly friends and he gives you godly church members to help you go forward in God's call along the way. That's what God does here. He says there in verse 18, and they shall hearken unto thy voice and thou shalt come thou and the elders of Israel unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, the Lord, do you, do you notice this trend here? Yahweh God of our fathers, God of the Hebrews hath met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now hold on a second. He just said that they're going to go before Pharaoh and say, we just want to go three days into the wilderness to worship our God. 
is God telling Moses to be dishonest here? Because we know God's intent is not for them to go just three days and then come back. His intent is for them to go worship and go back to the land of Canaan. So is God being dishonest here? No. What God is doing here is he's exposing Pharaoh. Because he's going to come and he's going to tell them, we want three days to go worship our God. And Pharaoh is going to say, no, absolutely not. You do not have the freedom or the liberty to go and worship God for even three days. He's exposing how wicked Pharaoh is, and he's exposing this fact to the children of Israel through this testimony that as long as you are bound to Egypt, you are not free to worship God. In other words, you need to be delivered. And God has come to deliver them. But God's not going to let them go away empty. Just as he promised Abraham. Remember in Genesis 15, we've referred back to when God gave the covenant to Abraham. He told him that his descendants would be a stranger in a strange land. And that nation would afflict them 400 years. And then God would demonstrate his wonders to them. And as he demonstrates his wonders to them, he would let them go. And then he would bring them out with great substance. That was the promise of God back in Genesis 15. Now look with me at verse number 19 God says this and I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go no not by a mighty hand and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in the midst thereof and after that he will let you go and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor. That word borrow, it just simply means to ask for, hey, could, could I borrow this? You ever said that to somebody without saying like, hey, could I borrow a French fry? You have no intention of giving that back. You're just asking for a French fry. That's how this word is used here. So it doesn't mean that they're, they're deceitfully going to borrow and then walk off and, and never give it back. No, what it means is God is saying he's going to give them grace. That means that they're going to have favor in the eyes of the Egyptians and the women are going to ask of their neighbors and of those that sojourn in her house for jewels and silver and jewels of gold and, and raiment or clothes and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. The spoiling there, when you consider the word spoil, it, it, it's the final stage of victory. That what happens is, is they would go in and conquer a city that they would defeat the military and then the people within the city would be carried away captive and then they would set the city on fire and burn it and they would ransack the city and take all the gold. That was a common conquest uh, battle plan at that time. The spoil represents the final victory. And what God is saying is this. You've had 400 years of bondage here and it's been brutal but I want you to know, I knew it was going to happen all along. And he's referring to these specific promises given to Abraham that it would be 400 years that he would bring them out 
and, and deliver them to the land of Canaan and that he would plague that nation for their affliction of their nation and that he would bring them out with substance. He's pointing them back to all these promises he made and he wants them to catch this, that the God who made all those promises is still the same God who's here today to deliver on every one of those promises. And when you have a God that delivers on promises in such a way, you have no reason to fear your inadequacies. You have every reason to trust in his sufficiency. And so as you consider this, God places his call upon Moses. Moses says, this is way bigger than me. Who am I to go and do this? God says, it's not about you. It's about who I am. He says, who are you? God says, I am. I always am who I've always been and I'll always be who I've always am. And you can trust in that. And here's the guarantee of the success. Here is the assurance of the success. Is this true? This is what he points him to. I am the same God who made the promises I am the same God who's coming to keep the promises and I'm the same God who will always keep the promises. See, God reassured Moses of the success of his call by reminding him that the God of Israel's past was still the God of Israel's present. I am still is. See, there are times in our lives when God calls us to do things that are beyond our capacity. And it's in those times that we feel our inadequacies. We feel our insufficiencies, and at times they can be overwhelming to us at how fall, uh, far short we will fall of God's expectation, of how far short we'll fall of God's call in the scriptures, the, of our inability to do such great things for God. And we're going to deal with all of those things. But I want to tell you tonight that the God of Israel's past is still the God of your present today, that he's still I am that he's still the God who inhabits all of eternity and that he sees what's going on in Egypt at the very same time he sees what's going on in your life today, that he's still the same God, that he, he always is who he's always been and he'll always be who he always is. And that is true not just in their life, that's true in your life. When Jesus came, he said, before Abraham was, I am, I am. He, he is the eternal God who came from heaven and he came to bring deliverance. He came to bring salvation. The book of Hebrews says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus is the great I am. And just as God, the eternal God in Jesus Christ promised before the foundation of the world to send salvation through the nation of Israel, God fulfilled that promise and he brought Jesus Christ and Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sin and he crushed the serpent's head as the serpent bruised his heel just like God said he would back in Genesis chapter 3. He's fulfilled every single promise thus far that he has promised. And what that means is that we can trust him 
And now all who will call upon him and believe in his sacrificial death for their sin will be saved. That's another promise made from God. And just like he fulfilled all those promises back then, he'll fulfill that promise today if you trust him as your savior. So we feel these inadequacies, but we need to be reminded that God is still at work today. The title of the message tonight is I am still works. And indeed he still does. But the success of our calling, this is what God wants us to get. The success of our calling does not rest within us, but with the God within us. See, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's what God was wanting to get across to Moses as well, that it's not about who you are, it's about who I am. The success of your call doesn't depend on what is within you, but on the God who is with you. And that's the same thing that's true in our lives. The word of God says, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Do you know what that means? That when God comes into your life, and, and, when, and let's just say it this way, in our lives today, he uses his word, and he calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to a higher level of being a husband and a higher level of being a wife and a higher level of being children and a higher level of being an employee and a higher level of being a boss and a higher level of being a church member and a higher level of being a Christian and being pure. The Bible calls us to a level where a lot of times we look at ourselves and we say, there's no way I can be who Jesus called me to be. But we need to understand that the success of our call does not lie with us. It lies with the God who is in us just as it did with Moses and that means that God can change your life that God can make you into the husband that you ought to be and he can make you into the wife that you ought to be and the employee and the boss and the Christian that you ought to be and the child that you ought to be because that power does not exist within you that power exists with God and since God is not just the God of the past but is the God of the present it means he is still capable of bringing the same change in your life that he's brought into people's lives going all the way back to the time of Jesus Christ he can do it in your life the success of the call does not lie within us but with the God who is within us he has commissioned us. Let's think about this. I am called Moses to go. I am is the same name under which we are called to go today. Remember Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19? And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he puts that exclamation mark on there. Amen. <laughs> you know what that means? Jesus didn't say, I was with you. He didn't say, I'll be with you. He said, I am with you. Well, Jesus was just about to leave. But while he was leaving, he said, I still am. <laughs> I'm still with you. And, and the reason why he said it that way was so that churches like this, all these centuries later, could look back to that promise and realize that it's not that Jesus Christ was just with the first century, but he was with Christians in the second and third and fourth and all the way down here to the 21st century. Jesus Christ is still with his church, still commissioning us to go in his name, under his authority. And that's a daunting task for us. And a lot of times we can feel like, who am I to go into this city? 
I mean, we feel like we could go to somebody and, and tell them about the gospel and they could say, who are you to call me a sinner? Who are you to tell me that I'm going to hell if I don't trust Jesus? Who are you to tell me how I'm supposed to live my life? Who are you to tell me what morality I should live by? Who died and made you king? Nobody died and made me king, but somebody died and became king and sat on the throne of God for all of eternity. But that's a daunting task here today. And a lot of times we can feel like, I don't know how I can possibly make this kind of difference. But what God wants us to understand is that the success of that call does not rest within us. It rests with the God who is with us. And therefore we should go in his name. And since that God is still with us today, it means that that God is still working today and, and that, so rather than giving all the reasons and all the excuse, excuses as to why we can't do what God has called us to do, we ought to trust in the fact that the God who called us is able to do it. That God can use my life to bring atheists and agnostics to faith in Christ. And that he can make me a husband who loves my wife as Christ loves the church. And he can make you a wife who unconditionally loves and submits to and respects your husband even at times when he's not worthy of that. And he can bring you to learn that language to go to the people that he's called you to. And he can get you to financial stability. And he can find you a job. And he can find you a place to live. And he can restore broken relationships in your life and he can get you off the addictions that have had a stranglehold on you for most of your life he can equip you to teach the bible in a church or to a kids class whatever god calls you to do you can rest assured that the eternal unchangeable self-existent god of israel will be everything you need to do everything he wants he can do that in your life so how do you find assurance that when God calls you to something that is beyond you, how can you find the assurance that that calling will be a success in your life? It's very simple. By remembering that the God of the past is still the God of today. He's still the same God who brought frogs up out of that river. He's still the same God who turned that water into blood. He's still the same God who parted those Red Sea. He's still the same God who brought uh, water out of that rock and brought the manna from heaven. And Jesus is still the same Savior who broke the chains of sin on people's lives in prostitutes and in adulterers. And he's the same Savior who turned persecutors into preachers and thieves into apostles. The I am is still the same God that you serve today. And he can still work in your life to accomplish through you what you could not do on your own he's still the same God I grew up listening of course to southern gospel music and as I was preparing for this message my mind went back to a song that I listened to when I was a kid recorded in 2003 and it goes like this Moses was leading God's children out when he faced the Red Sea in an ocean of doubt God did what no one dreamed he would do he parted the waters and they passed safely through. When Daniel was thrown into the lions that day, God sent his angels and they kept Daniel safe. I love to read those stories of old, but the half's not been told. 
So if there's a sea of doubt you can't cross, the enemy tells you that all hope is lost. Remember what God did just yesterday. He's still on his throne and he'll make a way. When lions of fear start to rise up and roar, he will protect you. He's done it before. God is still God. He's faithful and true, and he cares about you. And the chorus goes like this, for the God of the past is the God of today. If he did it back then, he'll do it again. He forever remains the same. So trust in his unchanging power. Follow him. Come what may, for the God of the past is still the God of today. Moses felt the full weight of his inadequacies upon his shoulders. But God gave him the assurance that the God who was calling him was the same God who called his fathers all those years ago. And he was the same God who would still work on their behalf. And God gives us the same assurance today that I am still works so that we can have the confidence to go forward with his calling, trusting that the God of the past is still the God of today. So listen, when you're facing those times, when God calls you to be something that's bigger than you, when God calls you to do something that's too hard for you, when God calls you to become something that you've never been before or to go somewhere you've never been before, instead of letting your, here's what we're going to see next week, we'll give you a preview here. Instead of letting your humility morph into excuses and then morph into unbelief, which results in refusal, and thus God's anger is kindled. That's what we'll see. This continues to go on for another chapter. Instead of letting your doubt, your fears, and your skepticism keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Don't read your Bible as though God is some dusty, ancient, old power who doesn't work in the way that he used to before and can't work in your life. Rather, you open up that scripture and you see what God said and you see what God did and how God worked and how he fulfilled every promise that he committed to all of their fathers and to all of them because he's going to bring them out of Egypt and he's going to plague that land and he's going to protect them and he's going to bring them into the promised land and he's going to give them that land and he's going to fulfill every promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to the nation of Israel. You look at those promises and you say, you know what, this says to me, not I was the God of your fathers or I was the God of Israel. This tells me I am, which means he still is today. He may not part red seas for me, but he may open doors for me. He, he may not make life easy on me, but he'll carry me through it. And you start looking at this Bible and you, you, you start to read the Bible as though God is still the same God. As though God is who he's always been and will always be who he always is. And you anchor your faith to that 
and you allow this truth that the God of the past is still the God of today to give you the confidence to go forward and do what God has called you to do. You can't, but God can. And so we ought to trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us in these rich truths. A lot of times in a city like this, we can wonder, is this church ever going to grow? Is it ever going to get to self-sufficiency? Are we ever going to get our own building? Are we going to see people saved? Sometimes we even wonder, are we going to even see first-time visitors? But you're still a mighty God. And you're still a God who saves and redeems and transforms lives. And we believe that you still want to do the same thing today. And I believe there are people in here in whom you want to do that same thing right now. You're calling them to a higher level of Christianity. You're calling them to a higher level of holiness. You're calling them to some daunting task that they would recognize as beyond them. But you're bringing us to a place where we recognize our insufficiency so that we can trust in your sufficiency. And I do pray, dear Father, that you would help us to cling to the hope that you've given us in the word today, that you are still the same God that you've always been, and you'll continue to be on into our future. I ask you to bless in our time of response. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.